Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have, found, you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Let me ask you a question. What if God left? What if he just left his people? What if God left this nation? He just picked up and left. Would it matter to anybody? Would anybody even notice? I'd like you to be thinking about that as we look at this passage in Exodus chapter 33. We've been spending, as I said, some time in this uh, journey of the people of God from bondage, slavery in Egypt, to freedom and liberty in the promised land. And I want to spend time there, and the reason I feel led to do that is because I think we're on a kind of a strange journey ourselves. Here, here we are in a situation which is a kind of a wilderness for us because we've never been here. You know, we're quarantined, we're masked, we're finding it difficult to be even with family. It's almost impossible to gather as friends and a challenge to even worship together as the family of God. And we don't know where this is going to lead. We don't know how long it's going to last. It's scary. We're on this journey. And my question is, what do we need for this journey? What do you need for this journey? What's essential? What do you pray for? This chapter uh, and, and the following chapter is in many ways uniquely rich in content. You could spend a lot of time studying and preaching about what's here, and we've looked at many parts of it in other times uh, in the past. But today I'd like to focus on the text that was read, and in particular on verses 14, 15, and 16. And I'd like to look at it in three phases. The, the great threat, and then a heartfelt plea, and then lastly, an enduring promise. So let's start with this great threat. And that's really the background of the passage that was read. So the people of Israel have, as we have, this great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the great command, and disobedience of this great command leads to this great threat from God. Chapter 33, verse 2. It says this, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. I will not go up in your midst. How did this happen? 
Well, as you look back to uh, Exodus, especially the opening chapters, you remember there was this liberation from Egypt. And as they left Egypt, they collected all kinds of gold and silver ornaments and jewelry. And this was a gift from God. God told them to do this. So they had all this wealth with them. And really, money is a gift from God, isn't it? But it's a gift that has to be handled carefully. Remember, the New Testament tells us all manner of sin comes from the love of money. It's like, it's like a car. If you don't know how to drive it, it's a two-ton killing machine. So, so they emerge from Egypt with all this gold, but this gold then became an instrument of sin. So I'll allow you to read the previous chapter in Exodus chapter 32. Moses went up to receive the commandments of God and, and, and uh, regulations for worship. It took him a while. It was like 40 days and the people grew impatient. And they made an idol, a golden calf. And where did the gold come from? Well, those very ornaments that they got from Egypt. Wearing ornaments and dressing up is a sign of celebration. It's what you do when you're going to a party. But now, when the judgment of God came upon them, that seemed highly inappropriate. So, verse 4 and 5, when the people heard this word that God was no longer going to be with them, they went into mourning, and none of them, it says, put on his ornaments. So this very symbol of God's blessings had now become a symbol of sin for them. And so they had nothing to do with these ornaments. So let's just focus, that's the background, focus on this great threat. I will not go with you. My presence will no longer be with you. It says something else, if I can read. It says, go, for I will not go in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you in the way. And then it's repeated again in verse 5. This seems a little scary. Is the presence of God something that we really want? Well, it's true as you read through the Scriptures that God is like a purifying fire. And as you read through the Scriptures, you see that God can't just wink at sin. That as, as fire destroys, so God's holiness destroys sin. But fire also gives light and heat. Fire is also essential, and the people of Israel knew this, so they mourn at the thought of losing the presence of the Lord God. The word presence, by the way, in Hebrew is literally face. It's, it's a nice image to keep in mind. It's, it's like a, a father, you know, staring at his little baby child. You know, it's, it's God's face connected with our face. It's a, it's a picture of the intimate presence of God with us. And so this threat means that that intimate presence will be gone from them. Now, there are threats which mean nothing at all to us. I mean, if a child hates to read and you say, unless you clean your room, I'm going to take all your books away. The child will say, all right, go for it. Another child who hates to play outdoors, sits around reading books all day, you say, you know what? If you don't do what I asked you to do, you're going to have to go outside and play. Well, all right, I won't go outside and play. I'll suffer through it. So there are some threats that just don't mean anything. And 
here's something that's interesting about the Israelites. They weep when they hear this threat of God. I, I think it's true that the Israelites in many ways were spiritual bozos, weren't they? I mean, over and over and over they stumble. And yet, there's something that you have to admire about them at this point. They knew that there was something they needed more than water, more than food, more than gold. It was the presence of the Lord God. And so when he says, my presence will no longer be with you, I won't be going with you, they weep and they mourn. You see the same thing in other places in the Old Testament. The people of God realize that the presence of God is what's most precious. So the psalmist says, this is Psalm 27, verses 8 and 9. When you said, seek my face, and again, it's the same word that's translated presence in our text. When you said, seek my face or seek my presence, my heart said to you, your face, your presence, Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. There's a kind of a desperation there, isn't there? I want your face, Lord, in looking into my face, your presence. You find the same thing in that great psalm of penitence, Psalm 51, where David has committed a sin. And he says in Psalm 51, verses 10 and 11, Create in me a clean heart, O God, Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or your face. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. As I read this, I have to ask myself, do I feel threatened by this loss? If God were to threaten to take his presence away from me, would I be as desperate as these people are? So there's this great threat I want to turn now to a heartfelt plea for God's mercy. They couldn't take this threat. They, this was the last thing they wanted to see happen. And so Moses prays for them. And that's in these verses that were read earlier. And I just want to read this verse, verse 15. Then he said, Moses, to, go, to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Moses pleads with God as we should plead with God. You know, we're journeying also through this land of COVID and violence and protests and uncertainty about all our institutions and our, our very history. We shouldn't take the presence of God for granted. And so in verse 15, Moses says, Lord, if you won't go with us, don't even lead us. Don't even make us go. Why was this precious? As you look at this verse and you look at this chapter, you see that God's threat was kind of like a surgical knife. What God was saying to them is, what if you had everything you wanted? What if you were healthy? What if there was a vaccine? What if there was a cure? What if you had everything that you wanted in ordering society? Clear out injustice everywhere. What if you had jobs and security and your business prospered. What if he had everything in the world except he didn't have me? Would it matter? So look what he says. I'm going to be skipping to the beginning of the chapter now again. Verse 1 says they would still be going to the promised land. In other words, they would still be going to a land flowing with milk and honey. So imagine, 
God is not taking that away from them. They would have a kingdom where the laws of God would rule, a, a nation where righteousness and justice would be there. There'd be pre, uh, peace ruling over the entire nation. If, if you could have that, if you could have that, all the racial strife is gone. There's, there's equity in pay. There's justice in all the institutions. All the corrupt laws have been rewritten. All the corrupt institutions have been reformed. Suppose you could have all of that, but didn't have the presence of God. Would that be okay? I wonder how people would answer in our nation. Would that be okay? And then, here's a second thing. In verse 2, God promised, in the first part, I will send an angel before you. I will send an angel before you. Now, I don't want to spend time on what this angel is or who this angel is. It's, a, it's an important study, but I just don't want to spend time on it at this particular time. But I want you to focus on this. The angel would lead them. Yeah, God said, I won't be with you, but still, it's not as though they're going to get lost. God is making a provision for them to be led where they're to go. In fact, as you read elsewhere, like in Numbers chapter 10, there was others who could lead them. Uh, Moses found this relative named Hobab who knew the wilderness and Moses had to persuade him and said, you stick with us, please, because you know the way and you can lead us in the way that we should go. There was other guides. So that leads us to the question, suppose you had guides. Suppose you had wise counsel in every aspect of your life so that you knew exactly which decision to make which would lead you to prosperity and happiness in the days ahead. Suppose you had all of that with perfect clarity, but you did not have the presence of God. Would that be okay? You see what I mean? God is asking them to examine their hearts. And then again, the second part of verse 2. He says, I will drive out, and then he lists all these tribes who would be in that promised land before they got there. In other words, he's promising them success. Don't worry about it. I'm going to give you victory over all your enemies. You're going to have homes in a land that's abounding with good food and great water. It'll mean health and strength for your families. You're going to do fabulously well. It's what we pray for. Oh God, give me success. When we take on any project, don't we pray for God's blessings on it? Lord, give me success. What if you got success? What if you were able to achieve all your brightest goals with no hesitation or any doubt? What if your business prospered? What if your marriage and family and friendships prospered? You had life that was easy and rich, but the presence of the Lord was not with you. Would it matter? Would it matter? Moses says, it matters everything. Lord, if you will not go with us, don't lead us there. We don't want it. And so he pleads for mercy. If, if you don't go with us, Lord, don't take us there. Look again at verse 16. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, that we, I and your people, 
may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. He says, there's something essential. You know, sometimes when we start on a journey, we don't realize what is essential until that essential thing is missing. And it's the presence of God. And so, Moses says, here's the second thing that we need. What distinguished us from all the other people on the face of the earth was that you, the creator of heaven and earth, the one true God was in our midst. It wasn't that we were a great people. Remember we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 7? God told them that. I don't love you because you're great in number or powerful. And Moses acknowledges that. We're not a military might. We don't have great wealth. Our culture doesn't supersede every other culture on the face of the earth. None of those things are true. What sets us apart is that we bear your name. What sets us apart is that you're our Savior. What sets us apart is that you work for us as we wait for you. You liberated us from slavery when all we did was cry out to you. You've conquered our enemies and you've promised us this land. You fight for us. What sets us apart is that you're our God. If God was not present with us, then all we are is just another nomadic tribe looking for a home. That's all. What's essential is your presence with us, Lord. So here's a punishment. Here's a punishment that would probably mean nothing to most of the people in the world. My presence will not go with you. Oh yeah, you can have success. You can have health and wealth and strength. You can achieve your goals, but you just won't have me. And most people would be those who shrug their shoulders and say, well, fine. So chapter 32 is about a great sin before God, which many people don't recognize as a sin, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And therefore, there's a great threat. The great threat is to be cast away from the presence of God. Children may ignore their parents when their parents are around. Have you ever noticed that? You know, they, they may even uh, make the parents feel bad because they're not attending to the parents. But even the thought of their parents going away somewhere produces sadness in these children's hearts. So children somehow are always looking for signs that their parents are still present. You know, the clattering of dishes in the kitchen, the sound of conversation, it comforts them. They, they even enjoy the, the punishments now and then, the corrections. No, 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 don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. That means mom and dad are still there. They're caring for them. They're watching them. Some studies have shown that, that babies are comforted if they are brought a cloth that's been close to their mother. Just the scent of their mother comforts the baby. Just it brings the presence of their mother close to them. So here was God the Father saying, my presence will no longer be with you. It was the greatest threat. You can have justice and equity and wealth and health, achieve all your goals, but without my presence. And so God's people plead for mercy. Moses intercedes for them. Lord, if you will not lead us, we don't want to go. And so thirdly, I want to have your attention turned to an enduring promise. 
God makes a promise in verse 14. God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. It's mercy. God says, I won't punish you. Instead, I will go with you. My presence, my face will be with you. The presence of God is the face of the God of all creation. It's, it's an amazing thing to think that the God of all creation will be that intimately focused on us. And that's why I think verse 3 is a little scary. You know, if, if I'm in your midst, God said, I might destroy you because oh, you're a wandering people. It's what we know that God's presence can't be taken for granted. We can't live as we please if we're living in the presence of God. The, the psalmist puts it like this. Psalm 76, verse 7. Speaking to God, he says, You, even you are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? By the way, that's why the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is so sweet to us. We know this truth. Who can stand in God's presence unless the grace and the forgiveness and the redemption we have in Christ Jesus placates, settles that anger. And God's presence then again becomes gracious and sweet to us. So God's presence, you can see it even in the Exodus account, consumes like fire. And yet, at the same time, it also nourishes us with water and with food and with provision. It renders judgment on those who sin, but it's also the presence that brings liberty and life to his people. The presence of God is dangerous to those who are his enemies, but it's a sweet comfort to those who follow him. And you see that in the book of Exodus over and over again. So this promise of God in verse 14 is an amazing promise. I will be with you. My presence will be with you. But I want to tell you something. This promise becomes as though it were nothing compared to the bright promise that we are made in the New Testament through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus pro uh, promised us more than those Israelites ever experienced. He says, there is for us a kind of baptism of fire. There is for us an indwelling divine power. There is for us the whisper of a, of a sweet, comforting voice saying peace to us, and it's the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said this is the birthright of every Christian. In John chapter 7, he said everybody who comes to him in faith, everyone who believes in him, out of his heart will flow rivers of water, and this image was a picture of what he promised he would give, the Holy Spirit of God. It's for everyone who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. This presence of God intimately indwelling us. So do we need the presence of God now? Is this just a story from thousands of years ago? No, we need it now more than ever. I think more than ever, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God during this journey that we're making as God's people. More than ever, we need to listen to and obey what Ephesians 5.18 says. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I think we all smiled when this lockdown started and we found that liquor stores were considered essential. Yeah, you need that. You need that for this journey. And I suppose we have to admit that those kinds of spirits do lead to a kind of comfort, isn't there? 
But Ephesians 5.18 says what is truly essential is for the Holy Spirit of God to fill us. I'm finding that to be a challenge during this time. As I talk to people, I'm seeing that it's, it's almost on two poles. I'm finding that there's some people who are so busy during this time that they have no time for the Holy Spirit of God. Schedules are all messed up. There's a kind of a frantic hurry in everything they have to do. In fact, they may actually be doing more than they were before this crisis came upon us. There's stress. There's even anger about political decisions and about policy and politicians, about job loss, about, about financial loss, about businesses that are declining. And some, I think, can't quiet their hearts enough to even feel the presence of God. If the Holy Spirit left, they'd never know it. I think on the other pole, there are those who are finding their lives to be too quiet. Not enough activity, not enough schedule, too much isolation. It's kind of interesting when you think of it, right? Quiet, isolated, no interference. That's the kind of thing, once upon a time, we used to call a retreat. You know, you go somewhere and you quiet yourself down, you get away from all your activities so you can get close to God. But it's not working that way anymore. Instead, I think this is a group of people that are filled with worry and anxiety. There's this kind of howling wind of loneliness that's drowning out the voice of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit left, they might not even know it. What we need now is the presence of God in our lives. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? How can I let the Holy Spirit minister to me? How can I have the enjoyment of the presence of God? May I just give you four reminders as I close? Four reminders. I say reminders because I think you're aware of these things. Here's the first one. Don't grieve the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember these Israelites in, in Exodus 33 committed the greatest uh, sin by violating the greatest command, which is to love God and God alone. And so we are called to love God, but we're told in the New Testament that inevitably loving God means loving others, loving the brothers and sisters. That's what it says in 1 John, the fourth chapter. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit because what grieves the Holy Spirit is when we mistreat other people. So at the end of Ephesians chapter 4, I'll allow you to read that. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by using harsh words, anger, bitter, bitterness, envy, jealousy, or a lack of forgiveness. Don't have the Spirit of God, the very presence of God, withdraw from us because of the way we treat others. So let this be a time when we examine our relationships, when we examine how we are treating other people. Pray, write emails, write cards, make phone calls. With the grace of God, let's settle things so that we can experience the joy of God's presence. Here's a second thing. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is like a comforting fire. Don't throw water on the presence of God. I'll let you read it again. It's at the very end of 1 Thessalonians. It's the fifth chapter. And as you look at the list given there, it's, 
I think it'll become clear to you that all those things somehow are ways of quenching or not quenching the Holy Spirit of God. So, so do good, not evil. Foster attitudes of thanksgiving and joy in the Lord in yourself. And then don't despise the proclamation of the Word of God. Don't belittle it and think you'll get to it later. All those are ways of, of throwing water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. Let this be a time when we examine our own walk with God. Am I encouraging the things that the Holy Spirit is doing in my own life? And here's the third thing. Come into the presence of God. Come into the presence of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says that we are the temple of God. It's plural. In other words, the church is the temple of God. It's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it fills out this picture. It says that we're all like little bricks put, put together so that all together we are the temple of God. God indwells His church. In fact, that means that when we gather together, there's something glorious that happens here. So much so that Scripture says when, an, when someone who doesn't know God comes into the presence of a worshiping people, he senses, he knows that he's in the presence of the living God. This is his dwelling place. So how do we do that? Well, I know live stream is not the way that it's been done for 2,000 years, but for this episode, that's how we're doing it. And you know, it's a gift. It's a blessing from God. So I, I encourage you, it sounds very practical, but tune in every Sunday. Don't put it off. Tune in Wednesday nights as we study God's Word. Tune into the evening graces where there's a devotional. There's something to remind you that we're one people all listening to the same thing because we are the temple of the living God. And as you can, attend in person. As God, oh, by His grace, in answer to our prayer, starts to open up things Come and attend church because God is here. When you hear the word and it seems directed to you, you know, it's, it's the presence of God touching your hearts. When you see other people worshiping and you feel your own heart lifted up to worship, it's the presence of God. When you talk to other people and you find out that you're struggling with the same things, you, you find out, you know, we're all part of one flock. We're made one by the Holy Spirit of God. We're all following the one shepherd we know that the presence of God is among us. Fourth, say yes to the Holy Spirit. Just say yes to the Holy Spirit. As He ministers to you, say yes to Him. As He prompts you, say yes to Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 said that we as a whole are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 says that we individually are also temples of God. Don't you know it says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the dwelling place of God also. And so, His ministry is active in your life. So here's some things that He's doing. In Romans 5, verse 5, it says the Holy Spirit pours into your heart the experience of the love of God. And as you read the context, you see that it's especially true in times of, of difficulty and tribulation like this. It's especially true even when you're alone. So allow the Holy Spirit to do this. Say, say yes to Him. In Ephesians 5.18, it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then it says, allow the Holy Spirit to express Himself through you in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. 
So sing. I know it sounds so simple, so small, and yet it is the command of God. Worship the Lord. The mask, yeah, I know the mask muffles your voice. It's not quite the same. But as the Holy Spirit prompts you, sing out and let the presence of God be filling you in. Here's another one, Romans 8, 23. It says the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. I I don't know if you find that, especially maybe during this time that you don't have words and thoughts. You're just sort of scouring the bottom of your soul. What do I pray for? But the Holy Spirit is right there. Open your minds and your hearts to Him. Quiet yourself and let Him help you to pray according to the will of God. Say yes to Him. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says the Holy Spirit's ministry in us is to make us powerful witnesses. Even when you feel weak, even when you think you have no answers for yourself, never mind answers which will help someone else, the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God will make you a rich blessing. Say yes to Him. Say yes. The presence of God. Friends, what we need now more than ever is the presence of God with us, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us as a church and in each of us as God's people. And as you say yes to the Holy Spirit, you'll find that you're not alone. The very presence of God is with you. May it be so. Amen. Lord God, almighty and strong, creator of all that exists, Beautiful and true and righteous and just you are. Compassionate, full of mercy and kindness. All this, Lord, comes to us as you abide with us. All this comes as your presence is with us, as your Holy Spirit ministers to us. And Lord, it's precious to us. We thank you for this. Abide with us, Lord. Strengthen your people with your presence. Comfort us, Lord. Comfort us all. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Scripture says that right now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. So there's no doubt that there's more to come. But friends, there's plenty now of God's presence. So I pray that every night you'll hear the voice of God comforting you. And I pray that when you awaken the light of His presence will shine on you. Amen.